0: For these are the tools that to be out what what are the welcome Basically. to the Renegade economist special with Professor Michael Hudson touring the country on our behalf raising the issues of this non-stop epidemic of reinflating asset bubbles. Michael, we're going to start off back in the 70s. Can you tell us uh, what has happened as the neoliberal movement has developed uh, since the 70s? You wrote, you wrote two really powerful books um, in the 70s, 1972, Superimperialism and 77, Global Fracture. Can you take us through the oil price shock and stagflation and then perhaps into Reaganomics? In the 1970s, the United States
1: went off went off gold, and that enabled it to create credit without any limit. So the source of new credit creation in the world became the U.S. economy. And uh, any credit on the asset side of the balance sheet is debt on the negative side. So the result was that most of this new credit was lent out uh, to borrowers and uh, when the savings rate fell to zero. uh, Because when a loan is uh, lent out, Uh, is a debt, uh, the increase in debt offsets the rise in saving. So you had a zero savings rate, but uh, the gross savings rate remained just as high, about 18 percent. And what that meant is that uh, after about 1980, uh, the wealthiest 10 percent of the population were doing almost all the saving, and the bottom 90 percent were running into debt to the top uh, 10% of the people. So the result was a financial polarization uh, between creditors and debtors. Now, 70% of bank loans in the United States, Britain, and other financial centers were lent out as mortgage credit because the philosophy of bankers is they want to remain safe by lending against assets already in place. And the largest asset in every economy is real estate. And about uh, half the value of real estate in the United States is land. And in Australia, it may be as high as 75 or 80% uh, because it's uh, relatively low rise housing. So the money that was lent out by banks uh, as interest rates uh, fell, uh, you could borrow more and more money, uh, a given rental value of property. And you could pledge this uh, for, uh, for a loan and Homeowners would see prices rising. They felt that if they didn't buy, uh, they'd be left out, and uh, obtaining the price of a home would rise further and further out of their range. So they went deeper and deeper into debt uh, to buy homes as long as prices were rising. Well, prices were rising because interest rates... uh, Declined from their peak of about 19, uh, 20, over 20% in 1980 down to about 5% today uh, throughout much of the world. And as interest rates uh, declined, that meant that a given flow of rent, a given income, would uh, carry a larger and larger bank loan. So the result is that debt rose relative to uh, GDP, uh, to national output, uh, and also to wages, and especially relative to disposable personal income after paying taxes after paying debt service. So uh, the result is that the economy became thoroughly loaned up. Uh, Homeowners were able to borrow the interest by refinancing their mortgages, taking out larger loans, uh, and this was called uh, equity extraction. And the banks promoted the uh, metaphor of using your home like a piggy bank. Well, a home isn't really like a piggy bank at all. Uh, Because in a piggy bank, you draw down savings that you've already made. uh, But using a home as a piggy bank meant going further and further into debt. And this meant that you had to pay more and more uh, carrying charges on the debt out of uh, future wage uh, income. And the result is that by paying more and more out of your wages, uh, this income is not available to be spent on goods and services. So markets shrink. For instance, in the last week or so, Australia has risen. The bank has raised the bank rate from 3% to 3.25%. This means that long-term mortgage interest rates reset, and people have to pay even more of their uh, caring charges for their houses to the bank, leaving even less to be available to be spent on goods and services. This means fewer people can afford restaurants, fewer people can afford non-essentials, and markets shrink. Uh, less capital investment is made, and uh, uh, employment falls, and the, as employment falls, uh, wages uh, decline. In the United States, real wages have not risen since 1979 on balance. So, uh, when people think that there's been a rise in uh, prosperity, what they really mean is that their house prices have gone up while they haven't been making any more. And they think they're richer because house pricing prices have gone up but they own less and less of their houses because they've taken out a larger and larger mortgage in order to obtain it. Uh, last year for the first time in, 2000, in 2007 uh, the, for the first time in US history the uh, homeowner's equity fell below 50%. In other words most of the house value was owned to the banks not owned by the bank owner last year this uh fell uh to about forty two per cent in other words, homeowners only owned forty two per cent of the banks uh of the uh house. The banker got fifty eight per cent and now, because of the price decline uh homeowners' equities fall into only about one third of uh the property. The banks own two-thirds of the property not the homeowner. The bank gets uh, virtually all of the uh, rental income uh, that the tax collector has uh, given up uh, in interest, uh, forcing the tax collector to shift the tax off property onto labor, so labor's taxed more and more heavily as uh, the taxes are cut on property and the uh, homeowner has to pay not only uh, higher taxes, but also higher interest charges equal to the amount by which taxes are cut. Because uh, the way that a homeowner buys a home is to bid against other homeowners until an equilibrium market price is reached, and the equilibrium price is where the prospective buyer pays the entire land rent, the entire rental value of property uh, to the bank. So there's a double whammy of uh, homeowners in Australia, the United States, and other financialized economies having to uh, pay not only higher taxes but higher interest rates. And uh, cutting the uh, property tax ends up not reducing the property price at all because that's set by market forces. The property price is equal to what the bank will lend and the bank will lend enough to absorb all of the rent itself, so instead of the government uh, getting the uh, revenue from the uh, rent, as the governments have got since 3000 BC, all throughout classical antiquity, uh, throughout uh, the Middle Ages, uh, down to about the 20th century, uh, instead the banks have now replaced the government as becoming the major recipients of uh, the land rent. And uh, that has become a tragedy for economies such as Australia because uh, the higher uh, housing charges, uh, about 40% of national income now, uh, personal income, uh, and the higher debt charges, an that at 15%, and the higher uh, social security and taxes, about 10, 11 to uh, 13%, are so high that before uh, the Australian uh, uh, worker even begins to spend money on food and other necessities, they already have to pay about two-thirds of the income fixed to uh, uh, the banks and uh, uh, the creditors uh, for the uh, access to home ownership uh, and education and credit. So Australian industry is priced out of world market by the heavy uh, uh, costs of financializing the economy that is the heavy cost of the bottom ninety percent paying the banks and the wealthiest ten percent so Australia is becoming a financialized economy on exactly the same path that Iceland and Latvia and other debt strapped economies have paid it's facing a future of debt deflation and uh, while uh, most of the growth In Australian employment has been in the service sector, mainly uh, the financial overhead sector, finance, insurance, and and real estate, the fire sector, industrial employment has gone down and down because Australians are left with uh, nothing to export except uh, their minerals and subsoil uh, wealth. So uh, essentially, Australia is turning into a third world type economy, a hewer of wood and drawer of water, as they used to say in uh, the biblical times. Uh, but in this case uh, into a minerals exporter and you don't need much uh, employment to export minerals. Uh, The uh, the, uh, population that's increasing is finding less and less opportunity to work in the real economy and manufacturing and producing goods and services leaving it uh, pretty much uh, uh, at the mercy of uh, the financial sector.
0: So you've talked a lot about a land rent being privatised there and the everyday person being in, in hock to the, to the banking system rather than that rents going to the government. But really they haven't been satisfied with just that form of uh, rental income stream. The neoliberal paradigm has seen the privatisation of our airports and this development that you've called toll booth economies. How are you seeing that unfold, and, and what do you think the future is of the tollbooth economy?
1: For a few hundred years, the financial sector made its money primarily by lending to the largest borrower, and that was government. Uh, but by about 1980, uh, governments were pretty much loaned up. Uh, when Mexico uh, uh, became insolvent on its foreign debt in 1982, you had the Uh, Latin American uh, debt bomb. And so uh, creditors said, well, it's obvious that uh, governments can no longer raise the foreign exchange uh, to pay uh, their debt by exporting more. There's only one way they can uh, raise the foreign exchange, and that is to treat governments like you'd treat a bankrupt uh, homeowner. Uh, You say you have to pay by selling off your assets, selling off uh, the Family silver is uh, what a British Prime Minister, Macmillan, uh, expressed privatization as. So uh, countries were told, uh, uh, directed, that you cannot get any stabilization loan, you cannot get any World Bank loan, you will be treated as a pariah, you'll be treated uh, like Cuba uh, or North Vietnam or the Soviet Union if you don't start to sell off your... uh, your public domain and your public enterprises uh, to creditors. Uh, Furthermore, you have, uh, we, our creditors are going to buy your uh, your uh, assets uh, on uh, debt, debt leverage, and uh, you're going to permit them to uh, deduct all of the interest charges they pay so that you will not get any tax receipts uh, at all from the privatized utilities. Uh, The private buyers, you're going to let uh, Uh, essentially turn uh, your roads, your public utilities, your water system, into toll booths. And uh, you are not allowed to uh, regulate uh, the prices at which uh, these uh, water companies can charge. If you do, we will overthrow you, as we did uh, 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 in Chile, Uh, governments uh, who refused to follow the Washington consensus. So uh, essentially, starting at Chile with privatization at gunpoint, uh, as a dress rehearsal, uh, they followed Thatcherism and Reganism, uh, forcing countries to privatize and sell off their public domain. So now uh, the public has to pay for what it usually used to get for free. Its roads are being turned into toll roads. It'll have to pay for water. And the idea is that the new privatizers of uh, the public domain uh, will be in control of natural monopolies and natural monopolies are what people have to use. Uh, Access to basic needs will be set at a price to absorb all of the income over subsistence. So essentially the the objective of neoliberalism is to turn uh, populations into a neo-feudal economy to tie uh, people to their houses in negative equity as if they're serfs so that they cannot sell without making the banks whole on uh, uh, their negative equity by a lifetime of personal uh, uh, indebtedness while uh, they have to use uh, water, roads, and other public utilities uh, that are unregulated at uh, enough so that uh, the the rise in living standards will end. The neoliberal uh, objective is to reduce populations to pure subsistence levels, where any rise in income will immediately uh, be increased uh, in payments to monopolies. So the basic principle is what uh, Simon Patton, the first American uh, professor of business at the Horton School of Economics in the 1880s uh, pointed out. Uh, His principle was that if you you regulate any monopoly at uh, an ability only to set prices according to the cost of production, then all of the economic surplus is going to be taken by the remaining monopolies. So that even if you regulate what the the tax collector uh, can get, uh, then you're going to leave other monopolies in place. And this perception became the guiding force behind uh, American antitrust regulation with the Sherman Antitrust Law of 1890, uh, the uh, Interstate Commerce Commission to regulate railroad fares, uh, and uh, the uh, anti-monopoly legislation in the Sherman Antitrust Law, uh, and uh, regulation of public utilities in the United States. Neoliberalized economies are not permitted to follow uh, the U.S. model. Uh, it's do as we say, not as we have done. Uh, they are to essentially to leave their economies free for financial predators to uh, back the uh, privatized privatization of uh, natural monopolies uh, so that whatever the natural monopolies can extract, is in turn paid out as interest because if it's not paid out as interest, then corporate raiders are going to come in and bar- borrow the money to buy these monopolies and pledge out whatever they can extract for interest, and try to downsize the economy even more to extract even more, uh, and the result is really neo-feudalism. <laughs>
0: an interview on The Renegade Economist with Professor Michael Hudson who's touring Australia on our behalf and our parent body, Prosper Australia. Some listeners will probably miss his talk tonight at 6.30 at the Melbourne Town Hall with Steve Keane and Brian Kavanagh but uh, you can see him on Thursday night at uh, Melbourne Uni by the Centre for Public Policy or um, Friday night where he's talking about the Earth versus a neoliberal paradigm and giving us the insights to the Baltic experience and what's happening to those countries who have come out of uh, uh, communist uh, rule and how they've been plundered uh, in dramatic effect. You can get the details to where those talks are via our website earthsharing.org.au That's earthsharing.org.au or prosper.org.au. Michael, this does sound a little mind-boggling all these issues hitting listeners at once and if they've just come across this neoliberal privatization of the earth can you explain the role of resource scarcity or scarcity itself and how that flows through to the various licensing or control of natural resources aka the planet?
1: Well all classical economic theory from the physiocrats through Adam Smith through John Stuart Mill through Marx and Henry George, uh, was basically a theory of uh, value and price. Uh, price was de- defined as the excess of uh, market prices, what people pay, over the cost of production, including normal profits. So uh, the idea was that as resources become scarce, whether it's land or minerals, the, uh, the difference will be economic rent over and above uh, the actual cost of production. And John Stuart Mill defined this as uh, what we'd call a free lunch. He said economic rent is what landlords make in their sleep uh, without working, without enterprise of their own, simply by the rise in um, uh, what they can charge over the cost of production. Well land has no cost of production because it's supplied freely by nature. Minerals and subsoil wealth have no cost of production and monopoly rents. uh, Monopoly uh, price gouging has no cost of production, except that needed to bribe the legislatures, uh, which uh, is euphemized as financing uh, their campaign contributions. Um, So that uh, you have monopoly rights, land rights, and interest is a monopoly right. It's the right of banks to create credit, uh, which they can create freely today on a computer keyboard uh, at minimal cost uh, and create interest bearing debt. So all of these forms of what other classical economists called economic rent uh, are added on to the actual cost of production to become prices that uh, users of land must pay, homeowners must pay, commercial property developers must pay, industry must pay for minerals, uh, and all of this, uh, there's an increasing Uh, price of minerals relative to the cost of production, just as there's an increasing price of land relative to its cost of production, namely zero. So the economy has turned from an industrial economy into a rentier economy. Now the political program of classical economics was actually reformist, and the great struggle of classical economics for 200 years from the 18th to 19th century from the French physiocrats that led to the French Revolution through the 19th century Progressive Era reform uh, to the uh, Social Democratic parties in Europe and the Progressive parties in the United States were all uh, aimed economically to bring prices down to the cost of production so that there wouldn't be any free lunch, so that there wouldn't be any Uh, excess of uh, price over uh, value and in the United States as I mentioned that was set up by uh, antitrust regulation and price regulation. Uh, Today uh, the financial sector has gradually gained such power over the uh, industrial sector and the real economy that it's been able to neutralize and dismantle uh, the regulatory systems by putting deregulators in place in the United States, or simply not having any regulation at all in uh, the privatized economies that begin to sell off the
0: public uh, domain. Michael, is there a way the Western economies can reindustrialize?
1: Well, that would be primarily by uh, taking the classical economic policy that uh, said that the tax system. Uh, Government revenues, the fiscal resources, should be based on this economic rent that's provided freely by nature. When you have a land tax, for instance, uh, you you leave less income to be capitalized into uh, an interest-bearing bank loan. So uh, in the United States, the motto of real estate investors such as Donald Trump and others is that rent is for paying interest. If the government collects this rental value, then it's not available to be paid out as interest. Uh, and that uh, the result is to hold down the price of housing so that people will pay only the, uh, the cost of construction and capital improvements uh, on the land, not on the land itself. The land rent would be the natural tax base. Uh, instead of uh, taxing people. Uh, Same thing for uh, uh, public utilities. Uh, uh, The idea is that uh, public utility rent, uh, uh, the government would uh, operate most of the natural monopolies. Uh, Once you privatize these natural monopolies, you add on costs that the public sector doesn't have. You add on interest charges for instance that the public sector doesn't have because it's financed the construction out of tax revenue. You add exorbitant executive salaries that the public sector doesn't permit. And in fact, the uh, uh, CEOs, uh, chief officers and managers of privatized utilities make much more than the prime minister or the president of the United States. Uh, They pay themselves Uh, and they also pay the investment banks money to uh, Uh, go private uh, and uh, uh, get the capital gains for private investors rather than leaving the public sector with uh, capital gains with the increase in value that prosperity itself creates and is not created by the owners of these property rights. So essentially you become a property right economy uh, and a rentier economy instead of an industrial economy. Well, this is the opposite of what 19th century people thought. uh, All of the economists in the 19th century expected the financial system to become industrialized, to become the service of industry, and to make loans to industry to put in place new means of production. And this was done especially in Germany and in Central Europe. Uh, All of this was changed by World War I, which was really the great watershed in history. When uh, England and the United States won, uh, the bank that was construed as a victory of uh, the Anglo-American banking system based on real estate loans and loans against collateral instead of the central European industrial banking system. And uh, since World War One, there's hardly been any industrial banking anywhere. Most capital investment in the United States, uh, Australia and other countries, is made out of the retained earnings of corporations already in place plus uh, initial public offerings uh, for new uh, capital investment. It's not financed by the banks and the privatized banking system here has become uh, basically predatory and extractive rather than productive. The classical economists define productive uh, loans as loans uh, which enabled the borrower to put in place the means of repaying the debt and its interest charges. Uh, Today, uh, the only kind of loan that does that are loans in the context of a real estate bubble where uh, a loan to a borrower will repay uh, out of asset price inflation with a higher indebtedness uh, charge rather than uh, loans to industries uh, to increase the uh, production and raise living standards. And that's why a real estate bubble doesn't raise living standards. It eats into it. And uh, that's the result of untaxing real estate and property, and especially untaxing land uh, in fa- and shifting the tax onto labor and industry.
0: So, you've been here now uh, five or six days. What are you seeing in the facts and figures of the Australian economy? How are our foundations standing up? We're supposed to have defined global economic gravity. What do you foresee?
1: Well, gravity is a force of nature, so no economy can defy economic gravity any more than an airplane can defy gravity. An airplane doesn't defy gravity, it counteracts it by the power, and the power that seems to uh, have defied gravity, or counteracted it rather, is the growth in debt. Australians have been living on debt, and now that the property prices have reached their limit uh, in many areas for commercial property and for uh, personal uh, homes, uh, banks have stopped lending and uh, this uh, decline in debt finds its counterpart in a rise in saving. Now the rise in saving doesn't result from more prosperity for Australians. The rise in saving comes from uh, homeowners unable to borrow more against their homes but are repaying their debt and the amortization of a debt is, uh, is counted in the national income statistics as a negation of a negation and therefore an increase in the savings rate.
0: So you've, you've seen that there's a, actually a reduction in loans going on?
1: Yes, uh, the statistics show that debt, uh, the volume of debt is falling back uh, relative to national income uh, and saving is rising, uh, but the saving doesn't mean that people are getting more prosperous uh, as Keynes thought in the 1930s. It means that people are getting more debt strapped and are unable to uh, uh, borrow more uh, to get by and they're having to repay uh, their mortgages and the other debts. Uh, consu- uh, credit card debts, I'm told, are 13% uh, here. Uh, that's very high, and this leaves them with less and less revenue available to spend on goods and services. So Australia is entering the period of debt deflation and shrinking markets.
0: Professor Michael Hudson, uh, thank you very much for talking to us. Uh, we look forward to continuing on this discussion perhaps next week on The Renegade Economist. Thank you very much, Carol. 3CR is podcasting new programs weekly. Now you can just subscribe online to Published or Not, Beyond Zero Community, and Right Now Radio, and their weekly programs will appear in your email box for you to listen to. Set yourself up to automatically receive 3CR programs by going to www.3cr.org.au and clicking on Podcasts. With 30 3CR programs now podcasting, you can be part of People Powered Radio effortlessly. And make sure you also subscribe or donate to 3CR as well.